And then we have our gospel reading. I feel like I should take a big <gasps> before I get started. Uh, this is the story of the Great Commission uh, from Matthew 28, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When, he, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the beginning. Wouldn't it be amazing to go back to the beginning to where it all started, when everything was new and right with the world, to live just as God intended? Heck, sometimes I think I'd be happy just to go back to the beginning of 2020. <laughs> it's hard to believe that, in, that so much has happened in the last few months. Uh, nearly three months ago, this global pandemic sent us into quarantine and in that time has claimed more than 100,000 American lives. We've experienced massive unemployment and disruption. It has been a test of our healthcare systems and our resiliency as a people. And even now, as things begin to slowly reopen, the virus continues to spread. And since the murder of George Floyd on May 25th, we have seen demonstrations all across the country, including Ambler yesterday morning, coming together in unprecedented solidarity, people standing together. So much has happened in so short a time and there is so much to learn and understand from how we do things in our lives during this pandemic that we once took for granted and feeling the intense longing for greater human contact and connection while trying to remain safe. To hearing and responding to the pain and anguish and grief of our black and brown neighbors and understanding how to best love and support them and amplify their voices and work. It is truly an overwhelming time. And I will say that I have felt overwhelmed this week. It is hard to know what to say, how much to say, when to say it, how much to comfort and how much to challenge. Even as I recognize that I myself have so much work to do in being a better ally for racial justice. This feels so much to me like a time for deep listening and yet I am called to speak. So when I hear in the beginning, it sounds like sweet music, a moment to return to the time before the world turned, before our broken humanity had inflicted so much pain on our fellow human beings and our planet, and to dream along with God's dream for what the world should be or could be. A reading from Genesis tells us that God created a world that lived in balance. Sun and moon, night and day, land and waters, 
habitats for all manners of creatures and even included time for Sabbath rest. And it tells us that we were made in the image of God, each person a reflection of their divine creator, each therefore worthy of all love and dignity, made for relationship at our core. In the beginning, all was right with the world. And in these days we are living now, we might ask, what happened? How have we diverged so far from God's dream for us? And how might we dream God's dream and align ourselves to God's vision of a world where, as we sang this morning, all are truly holy and fully welcome. We don't have to wait long in Genesis to find out what went wrong. A couple of chapters later, we hear the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, this paradise, this utopia. And then a servant appears and attempts Eve to eat the fruit from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, telling her that if she does, she will be like God. She eats the fruit, and Adam eats the fruit. And what happens? Shame and blame and death ensue with their one son, Cain, murdering their other son, Abel. This is what some theologians describe as original sin, the moment that sin and brokenness entered into the human story and the life of the world. I interpret it like this, that this desire to be like God or to wield the power of God is really the root of all evil. And that's why the first commandment is to have no other gods, including ourselves. And it seems to me that the desire to be like God is fundamental to the sin of racism, sometimes called America's original sin, but true in any culture, to consider oneself or one's people above another, to wish to sit in judgment, to make all the rules, to exercise power or violence, to remain aloof or distanced if one so chose. This is not to say that this is what God is like, but what God might be like if we were God. This can be really hard to see when you're swimming in your own culture in such intense times, and sometimes it is easier to see your own history and culture through experiencing another, which is why travel is so good for the mind and the soul. And so I want to share with you a bit about the trip we took this past summer to Seville, beautiful city in Andalusia, southern Spain. Seville was at the heart of what sometimes is called the Age of Exploration in the Middle Ages, in which explorers like Christopher Columbus set sail for the so-called New World and returned to tell their stories. And a couple of things stood out to us in our visit there. One of our first stops was to the Plaza de España, which was built in 1928 for the World's Fair. It's a beautiful, sprawling plaza. And across the plaza, there were these mosaics of various cities and municipalities from all across Spain. And what we noticed was that so many of them hearkened back to the reconquest in which Christians wrestled control of the Iberian Peninsula from Muslims. And what, so what these towns chose to capture some 700 years later after the reconquest were these moments, these images, depictions 
of surrender and subjugation of these people of color, foreigners, Muslims. This is how they chose to tell their story to the world. And this story and this subjugation would then also extend in the Middle Ages, we learned, to Jews who were eventually expelled along with Muslims from the peninsula. It was really kind of shocking to see, and it made us look back on our own history. And as we reflected, we likened it to the Confederate statues in our countries, country, symbols of subjugation of people which were somehow baptized by the valor of war. We also visited the tomb of Christopher Columbus in the Seville Cathedral. Um, it's a massive tomb with four larger-than-life statues of soldiers representing the regions of Spain, holding Columbus's casket on their shoulders like eternal pallbearers. And we saw where um, other of Columbus's relatives were also buried in the cathedral. And I remember the thought that came to mind when I looked at his tomb was that, wow, this guy made everybody a lot of money. The way he was memorialized and his place of honor was not so much uh, for reaching the Americas, which he did by mistake, but more for the wealth and power that it brought to Spain, which came at the expense of native peoples and their land. In the nearby royal palace, the Alcazar is a painting, which is one of the earliest depictions of native peoples in Europe. And the native people are in the background of the painting standing underneath the Virgin Mary. And we knew indeed that it was the church who had given theological justification for the treatment of these Muslims and Jews, as well as native peoples, through what is called the doctrine of discovery, that said that the explorers were justified in doing all that they did, cheating, killing, enslaving, because these other people were considered heathens, non-Christians. And so they took the great commission that we hear in our gospel reading today to baptize in the name of the triune God, and they turned it into a bludgeon. Of course, we are not called to baptize in this way or to baptize into sameness. Baptism is not a a practice of assimilation, but rather the widening and fully realizing it of what it means to be the body of Christ in God's human family. As we welcome more people into the church, the church is changed and enriched and more fully reflects the image of God. I share the story of our visit to Seville for a couple reasons. This is a time, I think, that we are being asked to grapple with our own history. Perhaps not colonialism at the moment, though perhaps this is where the story begins. But slavery and reconstruction and Jim Crow and segregation and redlining, we're being asked to look at our history. And sometimes with Columbus, it is not exactly how we learned it in our history classes. We are being asked to look at the racism as it has been woven into many of our societal systems across the centuries and ask how our society can be more just and equitable and work to make it so. We are also being asked to listen rather than jumping to justify ourselves, 
to listen and bear witness to the stories, experiences, and truths of our black and brown neighbors. Even as the larger church addresses society's wrongs, we are also being asked to address the church's historic wrongs and the way that we may unknowingly perpetuate those wrongs today. We are being asked to follow in the way of Jesus, who it says in the second chapter of Philippians, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus, who was God and is God, divested himself of the powers and privileges that came along with it to take the form of a servant and invites us to respond with servant hearts when we hear our neighbor's cries. I believe the more closely that we draw to the way of Jesus, the closer we will draw to God's dream for us. And that means going back and rereading the story of Jesus in the Gospels, which I encourage us to do. I said at the beginning that I don't really know what to say, and now I've said a lot. <laughs> so I want to close with saying that despite these difficult times we find ourselves in, made more difficult because we cannot be together, I remain hopeful. Um, yesterday I was listening to an interview with uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, who wrote the wonderful book Between the World and Me. Um, he is one of the most articulate commentators on race in America. He is also notoriously one of the most pessimistic. But in this interview I was listening to yesterday, he said something like, I can't believe I am saying this, but I feel a sense of hope in this time. Primarily, he said, because of the ways that people are coming together to hopefully make the world a better place. And if Tana Hesse Coates is feeling hopeful, I think it is a good sign. <laughs> and finally, I would remind us of how creation started. Do you remember from the story? It wasn't with, let there be light. It says, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. This is how God works. This is how God creates. God creates out of formlessness and the chaos of our world and our lives. God's breath blows over the unfathomable depths of our questions, our worries, our pain, our grief, our anger, our resentments, our history. And God creates something new from it, something beautiful, something we can't even imagine right this moment. God is not afraid of our mess, our questioning minds, or our troubled hearts. God looks on us with compassion and hope and says, now this, this is something I can work with. May it be so. Amen.